chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, For I want you to know what a great conflict, or that word conflict uh, really kind of pairs with the, the verse that, that Pastor Josh ended with last week. Uh, we'll look at that in just a moment. But the, but the same uh, word really in the Greek, but just mentioned a little differently and used differently in these uh, verses. He says, I want you to know of a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, which Laodicea is just a nearby city from where, he's, where, where uh, the Colossians are at. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ." So much is packed into these five verses, and that's why it's just a short segment of Scripture this morning, because there's so much here that we're going to kind of dig into, and I, I, I promise that it will be as long as it is, all right? That's what I promise you. Um, the, the other pastors on, on our team say that I preach the longest of all of them, and so today the goal is, is that it would not be longer than Aaron's. Uh, this morning, the message, I am just simply going to title the message, Hashtag Goals. And, uh, you know, in, in life, uh, if, you, if you're on social media at all, occasionally you see that hashtag come across, Hashtag Goals. My, when my wife sees the Disney World castle, the Cinderella castle, then that's Hashtag Goals. One day she's going to live in the, in the Cinderella castle, I think, but... Um, but, but we have these goals in our lives, and, and so maybe you can all think of some of those things that might would be your, your hashtag goals. But here, Paul gives to this church at Colossae and to these Christians, really, that he has never met before. He has not yet visited this church. He has only heard reports of them, and he is writing to them and and giving them some instruction, but these goals, and, and realize that the chapter breaks and verses throughout this letter that Paul is writing, it's, it's not a very long letter, but probably longer, a longer letter than any of us have ever written to anybody before. And Paul writes this letter to them, it's just a continuous letter. So there's no chapter breaks in it. He didn't, doesn't say like, oh, that's the end for this letter. I'll send that one to you and then I'll write another one. This is all one letter that he's writing to them. And so there's no break. He's got full context of what he's going to say to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he lists what I'm going to call the goals that Paul has for the church amidst his struggles. If you will, I want you to look at uh, the last verse in Colossians chapter 1 and then verse 29 there. Colossians 1.29, he says, To this end, where we ended last week, I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. That word striving is the word struggling. 
That's translated differently in different versions, but the word struggling is that word. But it's the same word that he uses here for, in verse number uh, 1 of chapter 2, for I want you to know what a great conflict. Again, that's the word struggle. This great struggle that I have for you. What is Paul struggling about? I begin to think about that and, and look at those words and what he means from, from this carrying of context from that last verse into this, that he said, I am struggling for you, and I have this great struggle. What is Paul talking about? I, I did a little bit of researching and tried to find out what other scholars might say that this struggle is, this great conflict that he has. And there are there, there's agreement around all of them, but... Several things come to, come to the top. and One is, Paul is incarcerated. He is in prison while he writes this letter. So there's some struggles that Paul has faced. And this is the, the struggle that Paul's saying, because of my struggles, I have these goals for you. I want my struggles to, to uh, be these goals for you, that, that they'll play out in your lives as a church the, the other thing he talks about here is that as he's giving them these goals, he's relaying to them this deep uh, concern and love for them as a church body. As these believers there at Colossae, he says, I, I want you to know my heart, my earnest desire, my love for you, my concern for you is that you would grow in your faith. That this would, that, that's, that's the earnest of Paul's desire here. He says, I have these goals for you, and these goals for you come from the struggle that I have, is that I can't be there with you. I long to be with you. Here I am in prison. I write this letter to you because I have this deep abiding love and concern that you would grow in your faith. Have you ever felt that way about somebody else? Uh, parents, I'm sure at times you felt that way about your child, that they would just get it, right? That they would just somehow get it. And when they become teenagers, we're starting to experience that, that we just hope that they will just get it. He also is, is, is earnest with them about this idea of false teachers, that he is defending them against false teachers. Later on in the letter, he begins to address the false teachers. And so here, we've not yet experienced that in our teachings in Colossians, but here he begins to give just a little bit of a precursor to that, that I want you to be defended against these false teachers that are coming up in your area. So here, Paul gives to them some goals that will benefit this group of believers. But they are the truths that he gives are just as pertinent as important for you and me today as we study this this letter. So let's get into it. Paul's goals for the Colossians. Number one, he says that their hearts may be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged. What a great goal for this seasoned, grizzled veteran of the faith there in prison, that their hearts would be encouraged because of his conflict or because of his great struggles, that their hearts would be encouraged. Paul is trying to say to them, I, my, I want you to be encouraged. What does it mean to be encouraged? The, I looked up the word encouraged just to understand what the meaning of that word is. The, the word encouraged means to give support, confidence, or to, to give hope. 
I hope this morning when you walked in that you were encouraged to be around other believers. I hope this morning that your heart is encouraged in the Lord. I hope that your eyes are focused on Him and that you are encouraged. But can I say that that, that's not always the case. We're not always encouraged. And Paul said, my goal for you as a church body, as believers, that your hearts would be encouraged. There are those within the body of Christ that have been given the gift of encouragement. You ever known somebody that whenever you're around them, you just, you just feel encouraged? Your heart is lifted. You feel better because you're around that person. Or you feel better because you spent that time with those people or in the church or in that fellowship setting. There are people who have that, that gift, a spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit to be an encouragement to other people. God has placed that gift in some people's lives for the benefit of the church that, again, Paul's goal, that your hearts would be encouraged. Paul's desire was that his sufferings and struggle would encourage the church. Here he is in prison and longing for the church to be encouraged by, from, from his struggles, from where he's at, that he would write a letter to them to tell them that even though I'm incarcerated and though I haven't been with you, this is my heart's desire to encourage you. It is our calling to encourage one another as well. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the Bible says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting, or that word exhorting, also translated encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, that, that day meaning the day of the Lord. In Hebrews, we're challenged that we're, we are called into this idea of encouraging, exhorting, lifting up the brethren, lifting up, lifting up fellow believers. We find all through, Luke gives us a, quite a look into this idea of encouragement all through the book of Acts. We'll look at what he says in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, exhorted, there's that word again, or encouraged, and strengthened together. And encouragement has, carries with it the idea of giving a confidence, of strengthening the brethren with many words. Acts 16.40 tells us, so, that when, uh, so they went out of prison and entered the house of Lydia. Now, just so you can get the picture, these Christian believers, Luke writes about here and says, they went out of prison and they went to Lydia's house. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. They spent the time encouraging them. They had just been in prison themselves. And here they are going house to house encouraging the brethren. Acts 18, 27. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Encouraged, encouragement. Each of these instances where the disciples, the brethren, encouraged other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Romans 1, 11 through 12 says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. I, I love how this one, this one leads out with Paul talking about the spiritual gift, so that 
you may be established, Paul says, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. I love that. Paul understood being even who he was, an encourager to the brethren, an exhorter of the church. Yet Paul says, I'm coming to you that I may be encouraged. Church, you understand? Uh, You don't just have to be an encourager, but rather you need encouragement too. And Paul understood this truth that it's not important to, it's not just that you are, are being an encourager and, and, and being challenged to encourage other people, but rather that you get encouragement as well. You need it just as much. And Paul understood this truth. Look, uh, have you ever been discouraged? Yeah, we, we've all been there, right? We've all suffered times of discouragement. What is it that discourages you? You think about whatever it might be that is a discouragement to you, that steals that confidence that you had in Christ, or maybe that, that blinds you to the hope that you have in Jesus, or that, that discouragement, that weakening of, of your faith. I know what it is for me. When, when, whenever I'm discouraged, it's because I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. There's many things that play into that, but it always boils down to the really this one truth, that I've taken my eyes off of the main thing. And when he is our focus, and when he is our stay, that's where we find hope. That's where we find encouragement. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And and. And throughout the Bible, we find this this idea that through all the discouragement, all the difficulties of life, that we find our encouragement really comes from the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ, having our focus on him. We're all like Peter, aren't we? We're all looking at the waves and the wind and find ourselves sinking. But when we get our eyes on Jesus Christ, and he is our stay, we find that great encouragement, that, that lifting up of our head. Secondly, not only did he say that I want your hearts to be encouraged, but then he says also being knit together in love. What does it look like to be knit together in love? You know, he's talking to the body, the body of Christ, and as a body of believers, we find that, you know, the, the human body is knit together with you know, muscle tissue, sinew, and, and ligaments, and, 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 uh, and tendons, and all that. But what he's saying here, what does it look like for the body to be knit together in love? You ever, you ever pull out those phrases from Scripture and, and, and really just take some time to think on them? What does it look like to be knit together in love for the church... His goal for them is that they would be knit together. What would it look like if Keystone Church was knit together in love? Well, I, I think in a very, very basic understanding of what the Scripture is saying here, I think it really just means a sincere concern and care for each other. Like a family. Like uh, um, the the family of God members we we go around we 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 kind of joke occasionally and say hey brother hey sister but the truth is that's who we are in Christ 
We are brothers and sisters. And so in the body of believers that we are knit together as a family, as a body of believers, that we are showing care and concern and love one for another, that we would be knit together by love, that that's what holds us together. The, the, the scripture tells us that, that Christ's love constrains us. So this idea of us loving one another like a family, any, anyone in here a middle child? Okay, like my hand is raised. I'm one of, one of two middle children. Okay, no one ever loved us. No one ever cared for us. We, we just went and ate worms. That's the way it was. Do I have any amens from middle children, right? We have this syndrome. But, but no, the, the, this idea, uh, obviously we understand, you know, our, our human minds and the way a family works and we have our flaws and my kids argue with each other and, and, and we argue back occasionally and, and we're not a perfect family. But, but the, the idea here of the family of God is that we are knit together in love. The body of believers knit together, showing a concern and love. I promise you that though there, there's a, the, the occasional drama that may spike, the occasional uh, uh, personality conflicts where you just don't feel like you kind of resonate with so-and-so, within the body or within the family? Anybody have family members like that? Extended or maybe living in your home or seated next to you this morning, right? <laughs> there, there are those within the church that you say, you know, they're just not my favorite person or, or I'm not, I'm, I haven't attained that level of sanctification yet. And Jesus says, the, the command of God was, was, Jesus said, just love them. And so occasionally that, that being knit together in love sometimes is just out of obedience. You love just because you're supposed to. But we are commanded, the desire for, of Paul here for this church while he's writing from prison. I mean, it wasn't like there was a TV in the corner and a nice cot and bed and clean sheets and Paul's writing from, from a desperate place, cold, wet, damp, and maybe a bucket in the corner if he's lucky. And he writes to them this letter that they would be encouraged through his struggles, that they would be encouraged, and that they would genuinely be knit together in love. 1 Peter 4.8, I love the way Peter says it. He says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. And here's why. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Love everybody. Have a fervent love one for another. Then, thirdly, his third goal here in, these, in this uh, passage, he says, and that they would attain all the riches of, first of all, he kind of has a two-part, attaining all the riches of the first one, he says, full assurance of understanding. 
full assurance of understanding. Can I tell you that it is important that a, a healthy church is a church that is fully assured that Jesus Christ is their Savior and they know that heaven is their home. Within the body, and maybe even in the, the room this morning, there is the, this, this a place where some of us can, can go where we feel unsure. We don't, we call it sometimes, we don't have assurance of our salvation. And Paul's desire and goal here, because it was a real thing, that they would have full assurance of understanding. That, that these who had come, these other false teachers, had come and had, had been telling their lies, and, and they were persuasive too. He uses the word that their words that they used were persuasive. That they were believable. They were plausible. And Paul says, my goal for you is that you would have this full assurance that you wouldn't have doubt, that you would be so sure, you would be able to move forward in this great confidence because you have full assurance and not allowing those false teachers to take away, allowing the evil one to, to, to dilute that truth in your mind. For the child of God who lacks assurance of salvation, I I think about it in this context of, of sitting at a banquet table, maybe even a Thanksgiving feast, and starving to death. When all of the riches of Christ belong to you, but you never partake, or you don't believe that they do belong to you. As a child of God, <clears throat> you can... Find yourself in this, this feeling of, of, am I really saved? Do I really know Jesus as my Savior? Am, am I going to heaven? Is heaven my home? And Paul said, my desire is that you would know, you'd attain all the riches of full understanding, full assurance of understanding. Many times assurance of salvation is lost because maybe there's a, a stronghold of sin. And sin can cause us to think that when we go back and we do that sin again and, and we, we say, oh, we shouldn't have done that and we do that again and we find ourselves in this, this uh, repeated sin or we find ourselves in a difficult place where we, something is, has happened in our lives that this, this is not idealistic of what a believer should be. I, I must not be saved. I wonder if I really know Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that as a believer, one who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and for forgiveness of sin, can I tell you this morning that it is not up to you to keep yourself saved. You cannot keep yourself saved. He does that. And that work was completed you, you say, well, but I, I did this sin, and I did it again, and I did it again. And, and whatever that looks like in your life that's caused that doubt to come in. The, the payment of Calvary was enough. And you accepting the payment for your great debt, my great debt, was enough 
When my children do wrong, I don't kick them out. They don't become less my child the more they sin. They are always my children. And I will always be their father. Some reasons why people lack assurance. For some, it's ignorance. Simply don't know the word of God. Don't know the truths of the word of God. And so there's a struggle constantly of am I good enough? Am I, uh, did I sin I, and, I, and I lost that, uh, that, that understanding or assurance? For some, it's unbelief. It's true that as a child of God, you and I, we can believe some parts and not believe other parts. For unbelief, we know the word of God, but don't believe it all or believe it only in portions. That some applies and and some we can't accept. For others, for others it's deception. They know it, but are deceived by the evil one. Because they're not worthy. Can I tell you a great secret? None of us are worthy. You were never worthy. We we were never worthy. And Jesus came anyway. And he loved us anyway. That's the great great truth of the great exchange that our Our rottenness, our rags for his robes of righteousness. That that awesome exchange that though you and I were unworthy, we were brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. That, That the truth of imputation that he put into us the righteousness of God And now we can call him Father. And we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is an incredible truth. An incredible truth. Christian, this morning, if, if, if you are, are, are in this place of not understanding or not having the assurance, Paul's desire here for the church then and the church today is that you would have, you would know that rich, all the riches of that full assurance of understanding, knowing that Jesus Christ, what he did on Calvary, was enough. And it is only Jesus, plus nothing and minus nothing. You and I will never be good enough to merit all the riches of Jesus Christ. And yet he gave it freely. No one made him sacrifice himself on the cross. Jesus laid his hands out willingly for you and me. We are kept by God. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, For I am persuaded. I'm assured. That word persuaded. I'm assured that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, and then just in case he missed anything, nor any other created thing 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate the believer from Jesus Christ. I hope you can say this morning that you are sure, that you are persuaded of your salvation in Christ. That you can lock this thing down and know that you are saved just as if you'd never sinned because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on Calvary. The next, he says that you'll know the, the riches, all the riches of the knowledge of the mystery of God. The knowledge of the mystery of God. What is he speaking about here? He says, all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So, trying to, trying to unpack all that that means in just a little bit of, of, of research and trying to find out exactly how do I unpack all that is mentioned here in the knowledge of the mystery of God. What is the knowledge of the mystery of God? It's Jesus. Christ is the mystery of God. Christ is the mystery of God. So I found a quote that I think sums it up better than I could say it. And so H.A. Ironside is our friend this morning. He says it this way. In Christ, or if you prefer, in, the, in this mystery of God now revealed, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is not necessary to go elsewhere, that is, to investigate human systems and philosophies, to find an explanation of the mystery of the universe and the relationship of the Creator to His creatures. In Christ, every question is answered, every perplexity made clear, and every doubt dissolved. Why turn aside to idle speculations when God has spoken in His Son? The mystery of God is Christ, and all the answers are found and hidden in Him. Everything you need is in Christ. Everything you long for is in Christ. All that you need is in Christ. And Paul is saying here in these goals that he has, he says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom, in Jesus, in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What an awesome truth, an awesome understanding to know that in Christ we have all we need. And if all we gain when we walk away from here is the fact that Paul's goal for us is that we would have Jesus Christ and know him personally, that we would have everything that you ever need is in him, he is all-sufficient. If you walk away with that truth to know that Jesus is all you need, that will be all you need. Paul then explains his reason for giving these goals to the church in verse 4. He talks about these persuasive words that sound true but are not. So, so how do we know what is true? Can we know what is truth? 
John 16, 13 says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. This is so important to understand, and, and I've only got a few minutes, so I'm going to go quickly. But here we find that the Holy Spirit does not come to speak on his own. Okay, um, so many things I want to say, but the Holy Spirit doesn't come to, to speak on his own, but rather he comes to speak the things of Jesus, to reveal to us Jesus, to reveal to us the all-sufficient one who is Jesus. So the scripture says, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Why is he able to lead us into all truth? How is it that the Holy Spirit can lead us or help us, guides us into all truth? Because the Spirit comes to take what belongs to Jesus, who is the source of all truth, and he speaks those things to us. I, I, think, it's, I think it's important to note that, that so often, in, in maybe in churches all over the world, the focus becomes the spiritual gifts. The focus maybe be, even becomes the Holy Spirit. And we love the Holy Spirit, and there's nothing wrong with the focus on the, on the spiritual gifts. But can I tell you that if we do that, if we focus on the Holy Spirit to the extent that we ignore Jesus, we have got it backwards from what the Holy Spirit's whole purpose in the church is to do. The Holy Spirit is to reveal to us Jesus. So our focus, if the Holy Spirit is doing his job within our hearts and in our church, and we're being knit together, and we're being encouraged, and we're growing in our understanding and assurance of the knowledge of truth and the mystery of God, then we are a church that is exalting Jesus Christ and a church that honors God and is obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is exalted. The healthy church is exalting Jesus Christ, lifting up him. So finally, the growth of of the Colossians. We find these goals of Paul for the Colossians, but now the growth of the Colossians. Paul says in his, the, these last couple of verses here, he says, first of all, he wants, to, he wants to, to admonish them for their good order. Why was it important to Paul that they were orderly? That seems like, a, a, like I'm searching for some kind of compliment to give you. Anybody ever had a compliment given to you that was like, you know, they had to like search pretty hard for that one. Like, we are so thankful for Tim. He is a married man. <laughs> it's okay. Hey, what is, what is the, what's the compliment? What is he trying to say here? Why is that important? Why is it that, that he brings up their good order? The church at Corinth was much to the opposite. Paul was always getting on to them for their chaotic 
way of doing things. Their disorder. And he looks at the church at Colossae, and he gets word back from them, uh, from others about this church at Colossae, and says, "Wow, I want to compliment you. I want to commend you on your good order." First Corinthians fourteen thirteen, when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, he says, "For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace." That confusion or or disorder, as in all churches of the saints, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. This, this compliment that he gives to them is that they were an orderly church, that they were, they were exalting Jesus, and in exalting Jesus, they had order within their body. That God was honored because they were, he is not the God of confusion, but of peace. Then secondly and quickly, he says, because of their steadfast faith, Look what our passage tells us at the end here. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul knew of those that would spread false doctrine, false teachers that had come. He was so assured and, and, and pleased to know a report that they were steadfast in their faith. Church this morning, are you steadfast in the faith? How do we find out if our faith is steadfast or firm? When does it ever reveal to us, it, it, when is it ever revealed to us that our faith is steadfast and sure? Is that when we get to heaven? Say, well done. You had firm faith. You know, you know when it is revealed to us that our faith was steadfast? When we are under attack. None of us long for attack to come. For difficult, hard times to come. But can I tell you that that is when your faith is revealed to you. That faith that you have been trying to grow, maybe even as from a child till now. That faith that you've been wanting it to be stronger and that you've prayed that, that your faith would grow and be stronger. We find that when we go through those difficult valleys, the hard times, whether it's because of health needs or finances or emotion or whatever it may be in relationships. It could even be spiritual battle. How we respond in the trial, in the testing. Because Paul made it clear to us that, that you will go through the fire. Not, not any question about that. But when your faith is tried, what will it look like? In the trial and on the other side. When Job came out from that trial, Job said all the way through, he did not walk away from God, but he said, when he tries me, I'll come out as gold. It'll be hot. It can get to boiling. 
But when all of the dross and all of the impurities bubble to the top and are scraped away, what's left is pure. But the difficulty of going through those hard times is imminent. Paul said, because their faith was steadfast. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, watch. As Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be strong. 1 Peter 5, 8, we, hear, we know this verse well. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We find a challenge given by Isaiah to the king in his day. Isaiah told the king, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And church, the same is true for you and me today. I wonder, would you bow your heads with me? Paul's goals for the church at Colossae are those same goals that are challenged for us today. What kind of church will we be? Encouraging others. Getting ourselves to a place where we can be encouraged. Knit together in love. And having full assurance. And understanding of who God is and the mystery of God that's Christ Jesus. That understanding that he is all we need. That this would be an orderly place that exalts Christ first and foremost. Being led by the Spirit of God. That our faith would be firm and steadfast. Sure. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.